Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Genesis chapter number 8. Genesis chapter number 8. Starting with verse number 20. The Bible says, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said, The Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest time, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. For a little while tonight, with the theme and the idea of prayer for the month of May, I'd like to minister along this line, the priority of prayer. Last week was the rebirth of prayer. This week, let's consider the priority, the priority of prayer. Now, I need you to help me pray right now because I know it's hard for some people not have a runway and be able to fly. But I'm asking you to get your plane up off the ground right now in the realm of prayer. And let's talk to God. Father, I come to you right now. I need your spirit. God, I need your anointing. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, let your words, I pray, God, be acceptable words. Lord, pour your people acceptable words God for our lives and for our hearts I pray oh Lord let your spirit God meet us here God in a special way I pray oh Lord Jesus God that you can teach us that you can instruct us and minister Lord Jesus by some virtue in some way through your word tonight it's forever settled it's true God, it's applicable, God, for our everyday lives. God, that's one of the reasons I love it, Lord Jesus, so much. Because it's practical, Lord Jesus, for me. God, move on the minds and hearts of each and every individual sitting in the sound of my voice. I pray, oh God, to step outside, Lord God, of the form and the ritual. God, to be able to enter, Lord Jesus, into that sacred place with you, Lord Jesus, without, Lord God, any prohibiting. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. When the church say amen, let's clap our hands unto the Lord, if you will. Hallelujah. Clap your hands, lift your voice. God, we love you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Great is our God, great is our God. You're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. This evening, if the question was posed, what notable deed or what significant thing did Noah do in Scripture? The responses would probably be very similar, if not even the same, even from the youngest to the eldest, generations past, present, and future. Many would respond that the notable deed that 
Noah did and what is attributed to him is that what? What did he do? He built the ark. And so from a very early age in our Sunday school classes, our kids even begin to learn about the notable significant deed that Noah did and that was building the ark, always attributed to Noah. Amen. That out in a place, an arid land, he would erect a monstrosity, if you will, of a ship out there where there was no threat per se of rain in sight for years. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, approximately the dimensions of the ark would be that Noah built. And it's probable according to scripture that he had no one help him but his family during that period of time. Three boys, three daughters-in-law, and one wife building and erecting this ark of God. If someone else had helped, no doubt they would have been in the ark whenever the day of destruction began to come. Nobody else evidently helped Noah in the building of the ark. And the tenor of scripture, though, concerning Noah is after this fashion. We hit on just a little bit last week. Not only did he walk with God, not only was he a just man, not only does the scripture attribute to him that he was perfect in his generation and a preacher of righteousness, but Noah was obedient. Everybody say obedient. Noah was obedient to God. According to scripture, Genesis 6, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Genesis 7 and 5, and Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. Genesis 7, 9, as God had commanded Noah. Genesis 7, 16, as God had commanded him, referring to Noah. God told, God commanded, God instructed Noah, and Noah obeyed. Noah listened, Noah didn't put up any argument, Noah simply obeyed. God told Noah, make an ark. Noah made an ark. God told Noah to what? Make the ark up, make it of gopher wood. He followed exact instruction. He made it of gopher wood. God commanded him to put rooms in it. God commanded him to pitch it within and without. Noah just absolutely does what God says. God told him the dimensions of it. He did it precisely. God told him to put one window in it and one door in it. Noah just followed in obedience to the Lord. God said, make it three stories, three stories. Noah made the ark. God commanded all the different animals that were to go in there, how many of each of them was to be placed in there, and Noah followed the commandment of the Lord. God told Noah when to get into the ark, and God told Noah when to come out of the ark. And Noah followed the voice and the instruction of God. Noah was obedient. Everybody say obedient obedient to God and so here is Noah a builder a, a, a craftsman if you will of the ark precisely just though as the Lord planned it just as the Lord had patterned it and ordered it gathered all the animals whether it be clean or unclean or foul the air according to the proper and very definite instruction of the Lord yet what this man did 
whenever he came off the ark is equal, if, if I may, equal to the accomplishment of the ark itself. Amen. We look at the ark and think, man, that is, that is the very pinpoint of all of Noah's life. That's the highlight. That's the high watermark. That's what defines him. It's the building, the construction, the hearing the voice of the Lord, following commandment and all of this. That's the highlight of Noah's life. But there's something that Noah did apart from the ark. There's something that Noah did whenever he came off the ark that is equal to all of the accomplishment of the ark itself. As far as we know tonight folks and it'll probably be for eons of time but generations past generations present and generations to come will only know Noah as the ark builder but scripture says he was more than just a ark builder he was an altar builder someone say amen the altar builder Noah came off the ark and he built he built an altar unto the Lord after the flood. And according to scripture, the altar that Noah built is the first altar according in our history that we have record of. It's the altar that Noah built for and unto the Lord. God commanded him, get in the boat. God commanded him, get out of the boat. God commanded him every detail concerning the ark. God commanded him what animals and what kind and how many to place in the ark. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me tonight. Without prompting, without gesture, without command, Noah steps off, 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 off the ark on dry ground. And without anybody telling him to, gesturing to him or prompting him, Noah builds an altar. God instructed him in every detail of the ark. But when Noah, after spending a year, a little over a year of his life on that ark, he steps off of it on dry ground and erects an altar unto the Lord. Someone say amen. Huh. I can think of Noah there for a moment. He must have thought. I stepped on this ark as a builder. I'm going to step off this ark as a builder. Though the times that I was living in seemed to necessitate an ark, I realized that the times that I'm living in right now demand an altar. After the flood, everything having been seemingly destroyed, taken away, that garden that was set in the eastward part of Eden, paradise as we know it, or as it were, no longer exists now. Somebody hear me? That garden, that place there in Eden, no longer exists now. It's destroyed as well with everything else that was destroyed. Every creeping thing, all the foul, the air, all destroyed. But that place in Eden is destroyed. That place where God would come down and commune with man now was non-existent. It was not there anymore. And so whenever this builder called Noah came off the ark, his first priority then was to build an altar. His first priority was to build an altar, not by command, but by a voluntary act. He says, I'm going to get my hands dirty and I'm going to make an altar unto God. Someone say hallelujah. 
And so the New Testament writer would pick up the same thought of 1 Timothy 2 and 1 whenever he said, I exhort therefore that first of all, everybody say first of all, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men, all men. Now listen to me today, folks. After spending a little over a year on that boat, confined to that space I could think of several things to do I mean I've had a year to think about it had a little over a year to mull it over in my mind could think of several things to do I mean whenever I get off of here I'm, I'm going to need a new place of residency going to be need some housing for the wife and I don't guess he had supply for the kids. There's enough supply for their own, but going to need some housing. Maybe I, I would like to eat a meal that's outside of the ark. We're going to dine out. What a meal that's on the outside of the ark. I mean, it's been nice, but you know, uh, it's not necessarily on the top ten things I want to do before I die list to eat with a bunch of sheep and goats and horses and snakes and like to get off this thing, maybe perhaps have a meal. But of everything that could have passed through Noah's mind of what he might do, what he could have done, what possibly others even might have done, that wasn't what was tracking over the mind of Noah. That's not what was passing over his mind. What was passing over his mind was this, no, first things first, I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to sacrifice to God. I can almost imagine that even perhaps before the day come that they got off there if there was something that was ever passing through his mind. We ever get out of this. We ever get through this. If my feet ever hit dry land again, it's not that I'm going to go fishing over at the riverbank I used to fish at. It's not that I'm going to build a fire and make a home. No, if I ever get through what I'm presently going through, I'm going to build me an altar and I'm going to lift up some sacrifice. That's going to be the first thing that I do. That's going to be the first thing and the first mode of operation that I take. I believe tonight, I believe that they're with great purpose, with great purpose that God instructed Noah. Again, a command that Noah fulfilled. That necessarily Noah didn't understand while he was fulfilling it, but he did it. That God instructed Noah in chapter 7. He says, Noah, of all of the clean beasts, I want you to take them by sevens, males and females. Of all the fowls of the air, I want you to take them by sevens, males and females. He said, but of the unclean, he said, take them by two, the male and his female. Now, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you if the sevens that were clean, the sevens that were foul, if we're talking about seven pairs or three pairs and one extra, okay? That doesn't matter to me, but the whole idea that there were just two of each kind that went on the boat is totally wrong according to the Scripture. Okay? Because there were more than that of the clean beasts and of the fowls. But God ordained, he said, I want you to take seven of the clean, of all clean, seven of all the foul. Why are you doing that? No, because God said do it. Why are you just taking male and female of the other? Because God said do it. And so he takes these. But through the providence of God, after the flood, God knew that he would open up for man 
that man can now eat of the flesh of clean animals for meat. Prior to the flood was not so. Green herbs, that was all that was given for man. That was his meat. That was his food. After the flood, though, God says you, these, these, these creeping things, they shall be meat unto you. You can eat of them. Undoubtedly, God, knowing that, knowing he's going to find himself upon an earth that's been distraught and dismayed by the flood, not a whole lot of life going on. He says, I'm going to provide some back here in the boat so that whenever you get out and I open up this venue of that being meat to you, there's going to be something for you to feed upon. But also in addition to that, I believe the foreknowledge of God, he also saw a man after the flood was over that was going to be willing and very, very pressing to build an altar and offer up some sacrifices because the Bible says that Noah took of every clean beast and every clean fowl. If God in the beginning had just said, hey, just, just of the clean male and female, hey, hey, you know, of just the foul male, he said of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, Noah's offering it up before the Lord. Why? Because he said this is a priority. It's a priority for me to make an altar. It's a priority for me to sacrifice to God. God staged everything back in the ark out of command, but what I'm doing right now is not because he commanded it, but because I wanted to, because I desired to, because I I had a hunger to do this. And during the patriarchal times, patriarchal times, you don't, you don't see the word perhaps of a priest and, and that much of a prophet until we get a little deeper in the book of the Bible. You don't see the office or the role of a priest. And the reason why is because between the times of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and some of those patriarchs of old, the head of the family acted as the priest. Everybody say the men. The man acted as a priest. Before there was a stationed row and office and function of a priest, the man of the household was the priest. And so Abraham, here's Noah rather standing, coming off the ark. He says, there is no role of a priest, no function of a priest around here, but I'm the man, I'm the head of my household, and by deemed of that, I'm the man, I'm the priest. And so the first thing this priest is going to do before I do anything else is I'm going to build an altar because that's priority to my family. That's priority to humanity. I wish there would be more men in this generation that would arise and be the patriarchal priests of their homes and say first thing is first before anything else happens, before anything else has priority. I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to spend time with God in prayer. I'm going to offer up sacrifice. Why? Because it's my responsibility for my family. Yes. That men ought to always pray. As the head of his family acting as priest before there was ever a row or function of a priesthood. Noah says, I'm, I'm going to offer up, I'm going to offer up some sacrifice on the altar that I built. The first thing that I did. I'm going to offer up sacrifice. We get to Leviticus, we understand the sacrificial system. Where those sacrifices called burnt offerings that the entire animal or the entire bird, whatever type of animal it was, was offered to the Lord. Nothing, everybody say nothing, was kept back. Verse 9 of Leviticus 1 said, all on the altar. Uh -huh. 
all on the offer, altar. Because whenever a person brought that, it was though that animal was in their stead. That animal was in their place. And so if you're bringing an animal to be in your stead and in your place, don't put an earlobe and a hand and a leg on there. No, 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 no. You put the entirety of that animal on there because it's there in your stead. Uh-huh. And so here's Noah. He's gathering all these things together, all these beasts and all these fowl. He's putting them all on the altar because, Lord, they're there in our stead. Now imagine for a moment, folks, whenever Noah steps off the boat, it must have stunk. We smell one varmint, one varmint in the middle of the road whenever we pass by. Imagine every varmint in the woods on the perimeter of that road. Dead. Carcasses rotting. Bodies beloating. Maggots scavenging. Uh-huh. It must have stunk. All the fowl of the land, all the beasts of the field died. So whenever Noah steps off that boat, it's a dismal picture. It's not something that you want to look at. It's not something that you really want to take in. It's a picture of lifelessness. It's a picture of hopelessness. The stench of death is just in the air. Decaying carcasses, no doubt, all around. And he's sitting there. And he's pondering. All of this has happened due to the wickedness of man. All of this taking place due to the wickedness of man. These deaths, this horrid smell that I'm smelling right now is because of the wickedness of man. Fowls have died. Beasts of the field have died because of man. I see something clicking in his mind. I see something clicking in his heart. If all of this death, what would seem to be a useless death, has happened because of the wickedness of man. I'm going to build an altar. And I'm going to sacrifice some fowl. And I'm going to sacrifice some beast. And we're going to have a little death ceremony here to the honor of a great God. Amen. Because all of this death out here is associated with man. All of this stink out here is associated with man. But I'm going to allow this something to take place on this first altar right here. The first thing that I did when I get off the ark of death right here that's going to be associated with Christ. And the Bible says whenever Noah offered that up and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Round the land it's putrid. Upon the land it stinks. It's horrible. But in the midst of all of that, there is a sweet savor that's coming up because it's a death that's being honorable unto God. It's a death that's giving glory unto the master. It's over-masking all of the stink. Amen. It would only be a shadow of better things to come. As New Testament scripture says, oft times of Old Testament things, they are shadows of good things yet to come. Because the Bible would declare concerning a sweet-smelling savor, making the comparison, the direct line, if you will, of connection of Ephesians 5 and 2, that he said, walk in love. If Christ also have loved us and have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice 
to God for a sweet smelling savor. Now, Brother Noah, what did the priority of prayer do for your family? That's great that you did that first and you took that as priority upon your life, but what did that really do for your family? That's great, Noah. We're thankful for it, but what did all this really do for the future families of mankind? And in response, in response to the first altar, in response to the first altar, sacrifice is placed on the first altar. God smells the sweet savor and says in his heart in verse 21, he says, I, I vow basically not to curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Because of this first altar, sacrifice placed on it, God is speaking then again that I vow also not to destroy this world and the living things upon this world with water again. If I can say it like this tonight, folks, making prayer a priority sustain the hand of God concerning future curses but it also opened up the hand of God for right now blessings God says I, I smell a stench in the land but there's a man that just came through a dismal time that first built an altar that first made sacrifice and I'm smelling, smelling a little shift in the wind before the flood, man was evil. Before the flood, there was wickedness in his heart. After the flood, the imagination of man's heart, guess what? Still evil and still wicked. But God says in the midst of all this, I, I, I smell a little something different. It's coming from a man that's made prayer a priority. Everything else smells the same, but not where a man has made prayer a priority. You want to get distinction in God's kingdom? You want to get favor in God's kingdom? Let prayer become a priority. Everybody else will just smell the same. But if you make prayer a priority, it's going to give a level of distinction for your family. He'll give a level of distinction for your life. God curses the ground because of man's first transgression. He smote everything living, or so it would seem, because of the wickedness of man and the evil imaginations of man. So we have this, we got this, we, you know, God's kind of on a roll here. Transgression, boom, take care of it. All the living or at least that of the footed beast and the fowl of the air. If you notice and you read your scripture, you don't ever read anything concerning the fish of the sea. It was water that everything was taken by. But if you look particularly, it's talking about the living, the creeping things in the fowl of the air. It never says anything concerning the fishes of the sea. So what's next, God? You know, I wouldn't want to ask that question. Wait a minute. What's that smell? No, I didn't tell you to do that. But I sure enjoy it. 
My mind escaped to the passage of Scripture, Isaiah 65 and 8. The Bible said, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. Again, we have looked at this verse of Scripture before, but the statement is all concerning a vineyard derived from the scene of a vineyard and a vine dresser that's going throughout the vineyard. The vine dresser may be tempted to destroy a vine or perhaps even a cluster, if you will, of grapes. Amen. Because it seems to be not productive. It doesn't seem to be of any utility to him. But then in the moment he's going to destroy, he refrains. Why? Because he finds on the vine or he finds in the cluster of grapes that there's a few grapes among the cluster or a few clusters, if you will, among the vine that are good for new wine. I believe in the canons of Scripture that we see the Lord looking down. He's already looked at humanity. Man, Adam sinned, and it seems like a whole race is going to pot. So we're going to do away with them. And now they're still in the same order. But wait a minute. Among all this, what's going on? I smell something over here. Somebody's made prayer a priority. And so I'm not going to curse the ground anymore, and I'm not going to destroy the world anymore. Why? Because there's something there that's valuable. Somebody has got a whole of the concept of prayer and made it a priority. They built an altar and they've offered sacrifices. So because of that being the case, now we see the hand of a curse that's suspended because somebody made prayer a priority. But in the same instance that a hand of cursing is suspended, a hand of blessing now is open. Bible says in Genesis 9 and 1 and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth now for one thing that's awful similar to the blessing that was given to the first family you know what's amazing to me God was willing to take a second chance when he heard someone dedicated to the priority of prayer. Uh-huh. And the Bible says God blessed Noah and his sons. Something else I want to draw your attention to. That between Genesis 1. Where he blessed the first family. Until now. Noah being the tenth from Adam the Bible says. Genesis the ninth chapter. This is the first time we see God blessing anybody. This is the first time we see God blessing anybody since the first family. And whenever he blessed the first family, they were in a perfect, virtuous state. But now he's blessing fallen humanity. Two different birds. But nobody has been blessed since the first family until now. And the basis of this blessing that he's putting up on Noah and his children is because somebody had a priority to build an altar and make some sacrifices to God. Now, just real quickly, there are different laws in studying scripture that people lean on one of them is the law first mentioned 
where a word is first time used or something first time occurs in scripture. It gives you the truest definition of the word or the scenario. It kind of sets the stage. It's the foundation, the precedent for which all other scriptures follow and are built upon. And so if that's being the case, taking that in mind, the law of first mention, if the blessings, listen to me very clearly, if the blessings from God here are primarily tied to our altars, hear me, and what we are doing at them, then the blessings that we even receive from God now can be largely predicated upon the altars we're building today. And what we're offering on them. If you'll turn with me to Ezra chapter number three. The priority of prayer. First thing he did. It's the first thing he did. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number three and verse number one. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren the priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. What's happening here in Scripture, Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, this is the returning of God's people back to Jerusalem. Three different groupings of people come at three different times. Return back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel carries the first people back. Ezra will carry the second group of people back. And Nehemiah will carry the third group of people back. And so they have been in their captivity for several years. Seventy as recorded the scripture. Cyrus makes the decree that all those had Jerusalem as home can return. And so... They return. Many years having been separated from this land. Zerubbabel had never even known this land. He was born in Babel. And so they're coming back, and the people that come with Zerubbabel are very, very in a similar situation as Noah was when he stepped off the ark. They're going back to a land that has been destroyed for a long time. There is ruin. There is rubble. There are no farms right now. There's no houses right now. There's nothing. Everybody say nothing. There's nothing. The land has been devastated by war. It's been suffering for many, many years of neglect with no people there. Basically just isolation, no care. It's just been unkept from anybody. And so Zerubbabel and his brethren come back to that type of picture picture wow this is great wouldn't you like to go home to that amen (laughs) and so they go and they come back and they start again they start all over they start to rebuild and so what is it Zerubbabel 
and the people that's come back with you, what are you going to do as your first order of business in a land with no farms, no houses, destitute and neglected, growing up? What's going to be your first business of action? Y'all going to make you a home? You need somewhere to stay now, don't you? No, we're not going to make a home. You're going to start cutting down the weeds and begin to cultivate the land? No, not going to do that. What's going to be the first order of business then, Zerubbabel? They would do just like Noah did. The first thing that they would do would build the altar unto the Lord. They made prayer a priority. They made prayer a priority when the circumstances around them didn't look favorable. They made prayer a priority when their own needs weren't being met. They made prayer a priority when they took a chance on going back home. Because there's something that they knew very, very well. That later whenever Ezra would come, it would be his responsibility to build up. And that's what Ezra did. He built up the spiritual condition of the people. He built up the spiritual condition of the people. But there's something that happened in God's timetable. That he knew that Ezra wouldn't probably be able to build up the conditions of the people. Until Zerubbabel went first and rebuilt the spiritual components of the temple. We got to have an altar. We got to have something here where people can pray and so the altar was built the Bible says sacrifices were made before the temple was ever constructed before there was ever a church established again in Jerusalem there was an altar before that ever took place there was an altar as a matter of fact the Bible says in Ezra 3 that the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. And verse 2 tells us they built the altar. And it's only after that that later you see the foundation of the temple being laid. It's only after that that later you even see an established church that was totally erected again in the city of Jerusalem. But first and foremost, the church was established by prayer being made a priority. Amen. Sounds very familiar to the early church in the first century. Sounds very familiar to the start of the church that we know in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, of Acts 1.14, that these all, speaking of those that gathered into the upper room, that these all continued with one accord, all of them in Ezra's time gathered together as one man. They all came together as one cord and one a man, the Bible says, and supplication and one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. That happened in Acts number one. They are in one accord. They are making prayer a priority. And as a result of this in Acts 2, it's what we call the birth of the first church, amen, in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. What, what preceded the birth of the church was a priority to prayer. What preceded an erected building temple in Ezra's day was a priority of prayer, amen. And what's going to give birth to the church in this hour will be a priority a prayer. Amen. But there, will, there is nothing as pure as that first altar that Noah built. Because it was built without prompting. It was built without suggestion. 
No one preached on prayer for Noah to build that altar. No one sung a song entitled prayer for Noah to build that altar. Noah steps out into the horde and he builds an altar of prayer. And if that's the first order, altar, then that's the precedent for the modern day altar. That without prompting, without suggestion, without working up, without singing it down, without inspiration through some other means or course, there should be a priority to prayer. That was Noah's day. See, Ezra day, things already began to change. How in the world, Ezra, did y'all know to build an altar? We read of it in Ezra 3, 2, as it is written in the law of Moses. The canon of scriptures had already begun. They had the scriptures to look back on. They even began to celebrate some feasts. How did they know to do that? As it is written, according to the ordinance, there were things already recorded. But whenever Noah stepped out on the boat, there was no such. There was no law. But still yet he made prayer. If you'll stand with me and I'll close with these last few words. The priority of prayer. Priority of prayer. You're not getting much off the hook. I'm going to take my last four minutes. Just as long as any other time. Years ago, years ago, I, I preached a message called Built on Preparation. This goes back maybe 2002, plus or minus a year. But in that, there was a scripture that I used and I wish to convey again this evening for this, this message. Second Chronicles 3 and 1. The Bible says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. He's given it. This is an address, okay? You got to follow. I know it's not like 321 whatever South Knox Street, but he began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared unto David his father see in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite I want to draw your attention to two phrases and that is Solomon began to build just boil it all down in the place that David had prepared now David made a lot of preparations for God's house we know he wasn't allowed to build it, but he was allowed to prepare for it. He made a lot of preparations of gold and silver, fought wars and battles, and the spoils from them he gave for the purpose of God's house, God's temple. But the ultimate mean of material that David ever did is that the temple was to be built in the place where David prepared. And what David prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, if you remember, David had sinned against God. He said, I want to number the people. As a result of that, there had come the, whoosh, the sword of the Lord upon the people. David says, I know I've got to correct this. I've got to get this right. So he goes to Ornan. He says, Ornan, I'd like to have your threshing floor. He said, because I'm going to build an altar here. He says, you can have it. He says, no. He said, I can't give to God something that doesn't cost me something. And he builds an altar right there. That's the place that David prepared in, in the threshing floor of Ornan. Solomon began to build God's house where David prepared for God's house. And the means that David prepared for God's house was by making prayer 
the priority. Because we read then, that's 2 Chronicles 3 and 1. Right prior to 2 Chronicles 3 and 1 is 1 Chronicles 22 and 1. That starts a chapter. That David says, then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. And this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David's saying that when there is no wood or timber, there's no gold or silver standing there, all he's gesturing to is an altar. And yet he says this is the house of the Lord because God's house, his church, is always going to have prayer first as priority. And if it happened in Ezra's day and in David's day and for the book of Acts day, God's not going to bend the rules for our day. He'll have a church, but its place of priority and its place of preparedness will be a place called prayer. And his house is a house of prayer. He said, but you don't make it a den of thieves. He said, my house is a house of prayer. Oft times I gather thee as a hen, gather a brood under her wings, but ye would not. He says, so this was my house. Notice what he says after he states those words, how he would gather them, but they would not. He says, your house is left to you desolate. See, there's something serious that happens in possession whenever God's house becomes our house, whenever we leave prayer out of the factory. God's house becomes our house whenever we leave prayer out of the equation. Because a house of prayer is a house of God. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads tonight. Amen. Can we just come forward, all of us? Let's just bow. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.